we're going to hear um, a Bible reading this morning that's from Colossians. And it's been recorded and read for us by Mike Munson. It was great. Luke and I spent some time with them this week, and that was really wonderful. And as you'll hear when the words are read, it's all about compassion and kindness and patience and humility. And aren't these guys the right person to read this for us? So let's have a Bible reading before I pray for us, and then we'll think through this idea about being a family that fights well. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Wonderful. Let me pray for us and then we'll uh, think through this theme of, of conflict together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power, how it's active and how it speaks to us. So this morning we give you full uh, invitation, Lord, to come and speak to us. Come and speak through your words, we pray. Would it reveal to us, would it challenge us in our conduct, in our approach to conflict? Lord, would you gently reveal to us the areas that you wish for us to grow as we journey and as we walk with you, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're, we're in a sermon series called When Families, uh, well, Family Matters, and today the title is When Families Fight. We're going to think through those words in Colossians and through Scripture as a whole and, and kind of see what it is uh, that God wants to share through that this morning. But before I start, is to explain, I'm going to do this in two parts, so it's a little bit different to normal. Um, but we're going to think through practicalities as well as scripture. But let's journey through together, shall we? I wonder which animal best describes you when you are faced with a conflict. Maybe it depends on whether you're in a crisis or whether you're calm or what capacity you have at the time. But are you a ball? When an emergency looms, you go in all guns blazing and you want to find a solution. You've probably heard the expression before, it's my way or the highway. Or maybe you can identify yourself more as a turtle. Your response is, no way. We don't need an instant decision. I'm going to revert into my shell. I'm going to hibernate a little bit, and let's avoid the issue for the time being. Or maybe you're more like a fox, and your instinct is to find some sort of a solution and maybe meet halfway and perhaps to seek a compromise. Or maybe you're like a teddy bear. I know that's not quite an animal, but go with me, forgive me this morning. And your preference is to accommodate in a time of conflict. And you say, your way, not my way, please go ahead, I don't want to make a fuss. Or finally, maybe you're like an owl and your heart is to say, let's do this our way. Let's collaborate and do this together. So you might say, my way, or your way, or no way, or about halfway, or our way. Or I'll get him, or I'll get out, maybe I'll give in, or let's go halves on this matter, or I care enough to confront, to work this through. 
to recreate our relationship and to go again. Now, I asked this question this morning, which animal do you resonate with the most when faced with conflict? Not out of judgment, to condemn the bulls and to make friends with any teddy bears here this morning. Rather, it's for us to kind of, in a self-revealing way, in a neutralizing way, consider together what our immediate response might be and to recognize that in each response, in different scenarios, we might need a different response and some will have their advantages and some will have their disadvantages. Because according to the personality tests that you can take when it comes to conflict, when I'm functioning well and things are calm, I'm like an owl. My heart is to try and accommodate and to come to a solution together. But when I'm stressed or I'm hurt or I'm not doing so well, then my tendency is to be a turtle. You'll find me wanting to hibernate to avoid every problem that I have, and friends know to greet me with a hot squash and a blanket. That's the best way to get through to me. But us in the body of Christ, all of us here today or watching online or in our partnership, we're going to have a different response when it comes to this idea of conflict. We're going to have a range of emotions, expressions, or mannerisms when it comes to our way of dealing with things. Because we're all going to respond differently. And after this morning, you may consider how you do respond yourself. But perhaps today you don't need me to share a story about conflict. Because I think we can all think of times where we have been in conflict with one another or people close to us. Sometimes they're small or trivial, aren't they? Like maybe over scones or scones or jam or cream. Or sometimes they're more polarizing and more important about staying or remain. And sometimes they're really personal to us, aren't they? They're so close to home and the conflict might lead to a family split. And when it comes to church, we're not immune either, are we? Churches fight, don't they? I've been here two and a half years now, and in that time, I know we've had our differences on many things. And for some of you this morning, you've been here much longer than that. But it's interesting for us to consider, isn't it, how we respond, what our natural tendency is when it comes to resolving conflict. Because you'll notice the title Luke gave me tonight, today is not If Families Fight, it's When Families Fight. But the striking question for us to consider is does our reaction to conflict, the way we treat and conduct our hurts, our pains, our complaints and our concerns look different to the world around us? Does our reaction and response aid reconciliation? Or does our approach to Christ, the way that Christ deals with conflict, does it look like his way or do we look different to that? Does it display something to a broken, fractured world that we live in and the society that we are part of, that we do conflict differently? Does the way we do conflict reveal our spiritual, deep, mature roots? And today I want us to carefully consider conflict, but we're going to do so gently together because I realize for some of us today, this is really fresh. This is a real topic You might be faced with a conflict at the moment or carrying a pain from a past conflict. But I want us to think about conflict in a way where we consider the practical application too. And we think and yield to Christ's heart and desire for reconciliation. Exploring as we go what it means and looks like to be a church that disagrees well. 
And before we come to think about those words that we've had read to us from Colossians specifically, where we're called to bear with one another or forgive one another as we journey through these one another statements of Scripture, I want us to zoom out for a moment and think about Scripture as a whole. Look at a glance at the whole of Scripture from beginning to end. Because as we do, when we look at the whole of Scripture, we see that the Bible contains a great deal of conflict. God's people are never without conflict. From the beginning to end, we see conflict happen. To begin with, we see Adam, don't we, squabble with Eve. She made me do it. But often the conflict that we read about in the narrative of Scripture shows us something about God and his purposes and reveals something new to us about his character. Conflict happens, but it's not the end. The Exodus shows us, doesn't it? And it reveals to the Israelites that God wanted to liberate his chosen people. He wanted to free them from the conflict that they found themselves in. And this is a theme of theology that we see throughout Scripture that we call liberation theology, where God's heart and desire is to free and be faithful to his people even when they are at times in conflict with him and and are unfaithful to him along the way. And then moving on a little bit, we see the prophets and the kings, don't we? And often the prophets would stir up conflict wherever they went. And this led us to the promised Messiah, who was going to be this wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and the government was going to be on his shoulders or a mandate to carry. And then Jesus came, didn't he? But bizarrely, he says himself that he came not to bring peace, but he came with a sword. Jesus was in conflict with the Pharisees, wasn't he? Jesus wasn't well received by everyone he came into contact with. It's probably the biggest understatement I'm going to make today that led to the crowd shouting, crucify, crucify. Jesus lived in conflict, And it was often the backdrop for his teaching. He might have been proposed a question by someone who was trying to trap him in his words, challenge him with the law, and often he would diffuse this with a question back, wouldn't he? Like a heartfelt, searching question in return, and then would go on to explain a parable or a lesson that we hold to so dearly in Scripture today. Jesus' life His ministry, his teaching, his crucifixion, his death and his resurrection was founded in conflict. And I wonder today what that shows us. It shows us that conflict happens, but it's not the end. Sometimes conflict is necessary, but that doesn't give us permission to go around hurting others, causing pain or being thoughtless in our words or our actions. Jesus left us with the gift of peace, and asked us to get involved in the ministry of reconciliation that he was all about. Jesus commissioned the 72 to go. As he does to us, he explained that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He sends them to go, and he says, whenever you enter a house at first, you're to say peace to this house. We are to be peace bearers as we bring the gospel wherever we go. And then later we read, don't we? In the life of the early church, very soon after it started, they were in conflict. There was huge debates in the life of the early church about who the church was for, 
and who could and was allowed in the church. And then we see the opening up of the church to the whole of the Gentiles. Did the early church experience conflict? Yes. Was that the end of the church? No. It led to the expansion of the church. Again, we see that conflict happens, but it's not the end. And as we continue to travel chronologically through scripture, we see a large amount of the letters that Paul writes, he has to write because he's responding to conflict. He always greets his audience, or those on the receiving end of his letters, with grace and peace. I love that. We are to greet each other with grace and peace. But then often it goes on to include a loving rebuke. Conflict happens, but it's not the end. But what do we find as we dig into Scripture? We don't just see examples of Scripture where conflict happens. We often also see examples and encouragements of conflict resolution. In the Old Testament, we see Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, don't we? Lovingly challenge Moses that he needs more help. He says he needs to appoint others to help him. Otherwise, he's going to wear himself out listening to all the disputes of the people. They needed to learn themselves how to uh, manage their own conflict. And then he was to appoint others to serve as judges under him. And then we see in Deuteronomy how roles are given to priests and to prophets and to judges so that there would be particular care for the powerless. And so often what we see as we think about examples of conflict resolution is the necessity for forgiveness. And often the hurt is caused by those who are closest to us. Take Jacob and Esau, for example, or Joseph and his brothers and Jesus and Peter, to name a few close conflicts. They're painful because the betrayal is often from those closest. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, by his own family members. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and disciples and friends, was the one who denied him three times. I don't know who this man is. These aren't trivial disagreements. These aren't people's preferences or needs becoming displayed. This is the life-altering, deep pain. But what do we see? We see Joseph test his brother's motives a second time round. Are they sorrowful? Have they changed? We see forgiveness and a loving embrace. We see a freedom to be family again, restored even though it's not deserved. We see Jesus reinstate Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And a high calling given, feed my sheep. Conflict happens, but it's not the end. But there are times in scripture and in our own lives where the resolution to a conflict isn't as neat as this. Wouldn't it be incredible if all conflict could come full circle and be neatly resolved? But there are some examples in scripture that show us that although not every example of conflict could end in a neat resolution, and it may end in a parting of ways, what we see is that conflict doesn't have to leave behind a path of destruction. Take Paul and Barnabas and their parting of ways due to the companionship of John Mark, for instance. 
that we read about in Acts chapter 15. And although we read later that there's commendations and there's mentions in other parts of scripture, the truth is left in this account that a conflict over personnel led to a change of plans, led to a parting and a redirection. And although this isn't neat, it wasn't neat, we're not left with a bitter taste in our mouths. I think it's really helpful for us to hear and see today that not all conflict has to leave behind a path of destruction. Because Jesus challenges us that even if conflict does lead to others feeling like enemies, then he reminds us that we are to love our enemies, not to destroy them. And even though not all conflict might be easily resolved, it's still not the end because we are in control of our response. And I say this this morning, not to belittle our pain along the way, because I've said it already, often conflict is really hard because we're hurt by those who are closest to us. And often it involves things that we are really passionate about. And this includes all of us and all of our emotions. So for that reason, like I said, we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to sit right here in the middle for God to asking God to search our heart for any pain that we might be carrying from any conflicts that we have been in. Having an opportunity before we think practically to lay it down, to leave it with him. So I've asked Graham to come and play a hymn of reflection to us. Because my prayer for us is that we would be able to be still with God, to sit and acknowledge any pain that we might be carrying, any conflicts that we've been part of, whatever our response to that might have been. To acknowledge before we think practically, bring it to God, ask him to heal us of any pain that we might be feeling, because conflict happens, but it's not the end. It doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to leave behind a trail or a path of destruction. It doesn't have to end in the parting of ways, although sometimes it does. And in all of this, we can bring our hurt and our pain to a God who heals. So like I said, we're just going to take a moment and Graham is going to play, be still for the presence of the Lord is moving in this place. And we're not going to sing, we're just going to be still. And my prayer is that that line of the song, that God's spirit would come to cleanse and heal, to minister his grace before we go any further and think practically what our response to conflict should be. So shall we just take a moment? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you that conflict happens, but it's not the end. We want to take a moment now to be still in your presence, to reveal before you any hurts that's secret or obvious that we may be carrying today. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.
And Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, no matter what pain we might be carrying, that you come to cleanse and heal and to minister your grace. Thank you, God, that you long to meet with us and you don't long for us to carry our pain any further. So we acknowledge and we leave it with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And although that's different, we've not done that before, my heart this morning was for us to think of this almost in two parts. To acknowledge that conflict really does happen, that we've all experienced it, but then to ask this practical question. If we are a church family, if our family matters, then when we fight, how are we to fight well? And here is where I want Paul's words from Colossians to sink in again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because aren't they practical words for us? What do we see? We see that if Paul tells us to live as a family or in other parts of scripture, he calls this a body of Christ, then we're to reframe the practicality of this question even further. It doesn't become how are we to fight well, rather it becomes how are we to be a family that forgives well. Fighting well looks like forgiving well. It looks like clothing ourselves Why? Because it doesn't come naturally. It's a choice. We need to put on and wear our compassion, our kindness, our humility, our gentleness, and our patience. Is my first reaction when faced with a conflict, compassion, humility, patience? If you know me, then you'll know the answer to that is no. How are we to adopt this kind of standpoint or this structure or this position for conflict we are to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us because it's the fruit of the Spirit outworking here isn't it it's the fruit of an abiding relationship with Christ that we read about in Galatians but the fruit of the Spirit is love it's joy it's peace it's patience it's kindness it's goodness it's faithfulness it's gentleness and self-control I wonder what's the quickest way for us to diffuse conflict. Someone shared with me recently that it's the gift of curiosity. Because when we're curious, we're willing to ask questions of the other, to understand them, not to be understood ourselves. And that comes, doesn't it, from the famous prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, this idea that we are to console others not for our first response to be consoled ourselves. Simplistically, how are we to show compassion or gentleness or humility or kindness? We're to ask questions of the other, stems not from a wanting to be understood ourselves, but from this curious nature that when we walk with others, we want this shared path of understanding. But our ability to be curious, to ask questions of the other comes from this certainness 
This self-assured knowledge of who we are in Christ. Paul says, doesn't he, that we are a chosen people, a forgiven people, a holy people. Our conduct with one another should reveal our holiness. It should reveal a deep maturity and a desire to be made right with God. And I think that's such a challenge for us. We are dearly loved by Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. Because when we understand that we are dearly loved by Christ, then we don't need to find our value in others. In what they think of me or how I'm coming across in this conflict. Because I'm dearly loved by Christ. And then he says too that, the, that we have the peace of Christ in our lives. And peace is so much richer than just an absence or conflict-free life. The meaning of shalom is a study in itself, but this idea that Christ wants us to live with a well-being that comes from him. Because how is any of this possible? I don't believe that it is without an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us and who we are in him. Because we cannot in our own strength forgive others without realizing how much we have been forgiven in the first place. That's the command that Paul gives, isn't it? That we are to forgive as the Lord forgave you. And Jesus tells a parable, doesn't he, of the unforgiving servant. The servant who doesn't quite join the dots between how much he's forgiven, been forgiven and how much he is to forgive others. He didn't quite grasp that he had been so generously, so, so outrageously, so lavishly forgiven and set free. And therefore, that's what he was supposed to do for others. We read in the Gospels, don't we, that the first servant's master took pity on him. He cancelled his outrageous debt and he let him go. But when the servant went out to find the fellow servant that owed him far less, he grabbed him, he choked him, and he demanded that he was paid back. The fellow servant asked for patience and he was granted none. And the servant was thrown into prison. And what I love in the gospel account is we are told that the, there was an outraged onlooker. An outraged onlooker. Because we are to remember today that there are people who are watching our conduct. They are watching how the church deals with one another. Because as we read in the gospel, this then gets reported back to the forgiving master. And then the master becomes furious and he asks why he couldn't show or extend the same mercy that he was shown. And Jesus told this very parable because Peter asked him in short, when can I stop forgiving? How many times do I have to forgive my brother or my sister? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. How much easier would this journey of faith be if it was only seven times and we could keep a record of other people's wrongs? But instead, Jesus tells us that forgiveness needs to be an ongoing quality that is going to require of us ongoing deep work. Because forgiveness isn't easy, is it? Especially when we've been deeply hurt, we've been humiliated or we've been damaged or maybe even abused by someone. We can feel justified to hold on to the resentment and unforgiveness that we might feel. And I think the most freeing revelation that I have found from this parable, that it's taken me years to see, 
is asking the question, who am I in the story? I am not the master. Therefore, it is not my job to judge others. That's God's role. It's not my job to judge. That's his. I am the servant who has experienced God's mercy so freely, so then my response is to show and extend the same forgiveness to others. So how are we to forgive? I think it starts with us praising God for his generous kindness towards us, for us to get that heavenly perspective in the first place of how much we have been forgiven. And then, like we've done already this morning, it's inviting God to search us, to reveal to us whether it's secret or hidden or obvious, the resentment and pain that we might be carrying, the unforgiveness that we are holding on to in our heart. We're to bring it to God in prayer and make a conscious decision that we don't want to carry this anymore, acknowledging to God how this makes us feel, reflecting on the events that caused us pain in the first place, but this time doing it without judgment, realizing it's not our job to judge, being willing to reconcile these things in our own heart and then letting go of them. And I know that's hard, but it's then letting the Holy Spirit do his work to heal the pain. We hand the judgment over to God, we let him deal with the secret thing, and then we take this journey and this walk with someone that we trust, being kind to ourselves along the way, aiming to walk in the freedom that Christ has for us to walk in. Because I tell you today, this sermon for me has been weeks of processing, because my prayer for us as a church is that if anyone is challenged or provoked this morning, and walk, wants to walk free, then they will ask someone to walk with them. Message us, ask your life group leaders or anyone you trust to pray with you. Because this has been a really unsettled season for us as a church. Some may have left her in this time or others have left in a hurtful way. And then we found ourselves in a season of grief as a result as a family. And I feel that there is forgiveness that needs to take place, that needs to be asked for, for us moving forward to function as a family that is a loving, freeing, and forgiving family. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to embed this in us so that we would move forward as a loving and forgiving family. So for that to be our prayer as a whole body of Christ, what we're going to do today is respond communally. Because I really believe you can't be in conflict as an individual. Yes, you might feel conflicted within, but conflict is something that is expressed in a community. And therefore, today, we need to communally respond. And although I'd love to, and we will pray for those who would appreciate prayer this morning, I want us to sensibly, as a whole church family, give space to recognizing that we might not have always got this right over the last few weeks and months, but resolve and pray to move forward together. So before I ask the band to come and lead us in, in kind of song and reflection, we're going to pray together, and some words are going to appear on the screen. And for any of you that wants to, my encouragement is that you pray along with me in the parts that are involved. 
And I, my prayer is, as we pray this together, that any bonds of disunity would be cut off, any pain that is being carried would fade, and that this would be a prophetic statement that together we will be a loving and a forgiving family. Moving forwards, not reflecting on the past, but letting go of what might happen, moving forward to all that God has for us. So my encouragement, whether at home or in the building, if you feel confident and courageous enough to pray this prayer with me, that you would do so now. Lord Jesus Christ, you praise for your friends that they would be one as you and your Father are one. We confess our resistance to your prayer. We may have failed to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We might have broken the bonds of peace. For the times that we've not listened to each other, when we've spoken in anger or in haste or in fear, we are sorry. For the times that we have not loved each other, where we have competed or insulted or judged each other, we are sorry. For the harm that our disunity has done to the witness to the gospel, we are sorry. Have mercy on us, we pray. Restore us to friendship with you and with one another through the power of your spirit. For being quick to see the sin of others and slow to repent of our own. Forgive us, Lord. For clinging to remembered hurts and brushing off gestures of kindness. Let's say together, forgive us, Lord. For the divisions among us that damage our mission to the world, we ask, Lord, forgive us, Lord. For the work we may not have done because we refuse to do it together, our prayer, Lord, forgive us, Lord. For these and all our sins, O God, we weep in sorrow and ask for your forgiveness for us as a church family through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.